Hello and welcome to the History Film Club. I'm Alex von Tanselman, a historian and screenwriter. I'm Hannah Gregg, a historian and a historical consultant to film and television. And we have a very exciting applicant for the History Film Club today, Hannah. Yes, I'm very excited and pleased um, because today we're welcoming Joss Agnew to the History Film Club. As a very experienced film and television director, Joss is going to be able to take us behind the camera. He's got lots of credits that are definitely relevant to the club's interests. And one of the most recent is The Irregulars, which is a drama set in Victorian London and it's currently streaming on Netflix. Hi, Joss. Hello, thanks for having me on. So I've already been getting a look at The Irregulars and I'm completely hooked. And But I've been trying to think about how we describe it because, um, well, we always say that it's not a standard period drama when a period drama comes out, but this one definitely isn't. And I don't know if I've coined the phrase, but I would call it spooky history, a spooky historical <laughs> fiction. <laughs> this is my new label for things. <laughs> I think that works. I think it works. It's, uh, it's, it is a mashup. It's got a lot of... Uh, different genres going on in there it's um obviously it's like you say period victorian uh late victorian but there's a heavy supernatural element in there as well and uh you know it's got a it was set up by johnny kenton who's got this fantastic vibe with the modern score so there's a yeah it's a, fr- a fresh look at that period i suppose you could say and it's set as well in, I suppose, what we might now begin to think of as the Sherlock Holmes extended universe. Um, this kind of, you know, it's amazing to me how the the kind of Arthur Conan Doyle novels have just sort of, you know, stories and novels have spawned this kind of giant ongoing yeah. world, um, which, you know, I mean, we've seen obviously various adaptations in recent years, you know, things like Elementary and um, Enola Holmes and all of this. And then this is, Another very different take, isn't it? Because the Irregulars are a sort of a gang of, I guess, street kids mostly, um, who who help Holmes and Watson solve mysteries, but perhaps slightly begrudgingly. Can you can you tell us a bit about the Irregulars and how they sort of came together? Sure, they are. You're absolutely right. They are a, a gang of street kids, and they are, have the ability to go to the places where um, Watson and Holmes, who are conspicuous. Uh, gentlemen, if you like, they they can go places where those two can't. So they can get information in their own unique way. They're kind of invisible as well, I suppose you'd say, because people uh, are kind of looking down on them or, or not even noticing them. So yeah, the regulars are set from their point of view. And we'll see, we'll, I don't want to give too much away, but you'll see a Sherlock and a, and a Watson that you haven't necessarily seen too much before. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hard to know how much we can say because it's just only just come out, and I don't want to give any spoilers. today. It has yeah. today. I mean, we're recording this, and literally just so that the audience are aware, um, it's launched at eight a.m. this morning, and we um, we're recording this at two, so uh, we haven't watched all of it yet. Uh, so we still don't know what happens either, but it is very exciting and very. Um, yeah, I was I was kind of curious with the marketing whether they were going to hold back and not even uh, show any pictures or cast, you know, uh, who Sherlock was or is, but they have, <laughs> they've shown him. <laughs> yeah. So we can sort of talk about him a little bit, but um, yeah, you'll, he'll, he'll make a, he'll make his appearance um, halfway through the series. He's not at the centre of the story, is he? Well, not as the one of the episodes I've seen yet. Anyway, it's about the the kids, and um, it's sort of suggesting sure. that they're solving his 
you know, his mysteries, that they're the brains behind the operation. Um, I think yeah. they do feature in the novels, don't they? Alex, do you know more about the Conan Doyle novels in terms of, I think, the Irregulars? No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do, no, well, I do We don't I read any books at the History Film Club. We just watch uh, things. We just watch things. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I actually, I have read quite a lot of Sherlock Holmes when I was younger, but I do not remember that. I, um, I, I did really quite enjoy a lot of his mysteries, but I'm afraid a bit more of an Agatha Christie fan over here. But I have really enjoyed a lot of the um, Holmes adaptations. And I think it's partly because now that, you know, it has reached that point um, where it is, obviously, all this stuff is out of copyright. It means that people can actually be very playful with it. And that's what I think is interesting about this show is that obviously you're taking, I mean, this must be quite fun, Joss, as a sort of, as a director to approach it. You're taking something that is well known and you're able to give a completely different angle on that and bring in a yeah, totally I mean, different all- audience. Absolutely. All credit to Tom Bidwell, whose creation this is. This has been spinning around in Tom's head in his imagination for 10 years. Um, and I, yeah, I do find, I personally find this, this Sherlock, he's, uh, he's really accessible because he's so deeply flawed and we find him at, uh, he's really in, uh, you know, on a very, very low ebb. He's suffered a major trauma and um, he's a, you could say he's a shadow of the man he once was. Um, and will we, you know, the the, the idea is, you know, will, will he show some of that previous brilliance um, and and help save the day, perhaps? We don't know. But uh, it's, it's uh, so the onus on solving the, the tasks ahead of them, the overcoming the obstacles, is the irregulars themselves. Um, but it, it is all connected. You'll see. <laughs> well, I'm going to watch some more um, over the weekend, but I think people are going to get hooked very quickly. Um, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The 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 main thing is that the, these fantastic uh, the young cast that we've got, who are the 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 five irregulars, which includes Prince Leopold, um, are are really the driving force of it, and it's it's all told through their point of view mostly, um, and you'll see how it connects to Holmes and Watson uh, as the thing evolves. Yeah, that's one of the nice things about it, isn't it? That these young I guess they're teenagers, aren't they? Late teens. I don't know what they're exactly what their age is meant to be, but they sort of suggest late teens to me. And they're yeah. carrying the story. And we don't usually see that kind of ensemble teen uh, you know, hero cast in a period of drama so much. They're sort of on the I don't know, it's not Grange Hill or the in betweeners, is it? Yeah, the thing with this gang is they've got nothing. And um so you just don't know how you know, how do they survive? I don't include Leopold in that too much, but he's got his own problems. Um, yeah, so so it's it. I, I was rooting for them the, from the off because situation they're in is they've got no money. They, they've got um, some serious problems, or one of them has, we think, at the beginning. And um, so it's it's how how they are going to survive and get through the day to to last is the big question. And I suppose that's one of the interesting things with a show like this, isn't it? Because I know some people. Um, some audiences don't like it when historical dramas bring in fantasy elements. But in a sense, I think something that it allows you to do in this show is ground it a bit, isn't it? It's You've got the supernatural elements and so on, but as you say, these children have to survive in a very, very difficult world. And part of that world is the kind of historical realism of the fact that there really wasn't a lot of support for street kids like this at that time. Yeah, well, two, uh, you'll you'll see the, the two sisters, the main characters uh b and jesse they've actually suffered they've been in the workhouse so 
uh, and the threat of that looms over them still and it's how how can they stay out of that place but just you must have filmed uh, the irregulars mostly before the pandemic hit did you or or were you still going when it when it started we had got well, we were working on the last pair of episodes when the first lockdown hit we had 3 weeks left to film and uh, so we everyone had to we had to shut down and everyone go home like every other production in the country and in fact the day I came home I was on the train platform in my hometown there's this other guy standing there with a big suitcase and kind of like looked at each other he turned out uh, he was from Batman uh, also filming in <laughs> Liverpool when we traveled <laughs> we traveled all the way down the country you know on the same sort of despondent journey anyway we the, the crew uh, were incredible. Everyone went home. The vis effects kept going remotely. The editing happened remotely. Sound work, etc., on everything that we'd shot already. And we prepped to shoot the remainder of the show in for September last year. And then we got that going, got everything shot, and we were one of the first dramas to shoot under COVID conditions last year. Mm. So Netflix were brilliant. They gave us more time to shoot, uh, which we needed. Um, got it all in the can just before the second lockdown hit. Can we talk a bit more just as well about your kind of process as a director of putting these dramas together? Because um, I mean, we first met on Poldark, my beloved mm. Poldark, which I try and mention in every podcast if I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you also asked me one of the best questions, one of my favourite questions that any director's ever asked me, which is to think about the fridge door moments in a script. Um, which is going to yeah. sound strange for Paul Dark because there are obviously no <laughs> fridges in Paul Dark. Yeah. And you didn't try to put any in. It's not as though you wanted to sneak them in. And I said, no, no, I can't have it. <laughs> it was none of that. Do you want to say a bit more? Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, sure. It's, it's. Um, I think it's, it's to do with that. It, when we're trying to create this illusion uh, of this period drama and, you know, the movie or the, or the, the episode, they're all films to my, my mind. Um, they're time machines, aren't they? And we want to try and create a, a really authentic illusion, even if it's got a tone of the irregulars with supernatural or if it's trying to be uh, a more sort of romantic-led uh, period drama like Paul Dark. And the, the, the saying that comes to my mind is if you look after the pennies, the pounds will look after the, themselves. So what I mean by that is it's the small detail Um and if you can if you can find that small detail that's relevant to the audience, then hopefully the bigger picture will kind of fit better. It'll, it'll uh, be more truthful. So the fridge, the fridge door is what did they do? So you're in your in your house back then. Where, where's the food? <laughs> well, I I found it really useful because it also helped me think about a script when I'm reading a script in a slightly different way because I always try and read it not just as a historian but also think what director's going to do with that information and what questions they might have and and um you know I think one of the examples you gave to me when we first had a conversation about it was that if you think about a contemporary drama then often you see someone walk into their house they put their keys down yeah. You know, as they walk in the door, they go to the kitchen, they open the fridge, you know, they, they do whatever. And it's about those kind of unscripted moments about someone feeling at home in the space that they're yes. in. And, um, it, and I found that really, you know, sort of, yeah, a, a really creative way of helping me think about what history details are useful for a director. It's authentic behaviour, isn't it? And that's what I was, uh, I guess, when we were first working together. It's, it's to try and find those beats that help 
you know those those small details make it relevant to the person that's watching now and then hopefully they're more embedded into the illusion that we're trying to create and um you did a lot of pole dark didn't you joss with i can't remember how many episodes it was but you were yeah it was really nice 11 (laughs) 11 11, however many it was yeah i adored it (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, do you find, Joss, it's different when you're, because obviously you have done some contemporary as well as period shows. I mean, do you find that you prepare in a different way when you're doing a historical show? Are there, are there different things that you're looking for? Oh, that's a, such a good question. Um, the first thing I look for is, do I buy it? Um, mm. You know, do I really believe what, what's what's happening here? What you know, what the, the scenario is? Do I understand it? Do, do I understand why the characters are doing what they're doing? Do I buy the sort of credibility of the situation? It's probably very, very similar, to be honest. Contemporary or period, your your preparation is going to be um, very similar. I guess the thing at the back of your mind with period is often you have the question, well, how are we going to do that? If it's, uh, I don't know, if it's uh, something to do with a biplane or a, I don't know, some sort of detail like a, a battle or something. Um, uh, and yeah, because you're going to, need the locations and so on to do that very expensive that's problem with period isn't it no biplanes yes (laughs) can you do it without a biplane (laughs) you need you need high quality historical consultants as well you know and they're very absolutely (laughs) yes yes we looked everywhere finally found one yeah, exactly. Straight <laughs> in the bottom. She was busy, so you had to have Hannah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, right, that's but it. Do, no more, yeah. I'm off. <laughs> do you remember, Hannah, we were looking for, uh, there was a party, and uh, we were looking, I wanted them to, because I'd love to see the, the the characters in action, and maybe just not, just dancing. Is there something else they can be doing? What would they? What could they be doing in this place? And then we went through various games. And came up with Skittles in the end, do you remember? Oh, yeah, Skittles. Is that, I think I always suggested, I always wanted to put into a drama where people electrocute themselves. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's all these images from Excellent. the early 1800s where they're discovering well, electricity and they're like ha- yeah. holding on to this kind of electricity maker machine going bzzz. <laughs> before on telly wouldn't that be great to have people uh, electrocuting themselves at a party <laughs> i must have channeled that because um if you see episode three in the irregulars um they're, they're <laughs> the, the the challenge at the end to, is to is rescue someone that's about to be electrocuted but we see that oh, yes. earlier with um sort of in we go into sherlock's an old room that he had and it's showing all the things he was interested in and of course that was the that was one of them the electricity and what you how you generate it and what it can do oh so it's made it yes it's made it onto screen yes oh, right. i have a credit for that. i'm gonna write to netflix thank you that'll be five pounds kind, please yeah it's probably the kind of thing that you couldn't really i mean even though we sometimes sort of find these things that even though it would be probably quite accurate to have somebody in the background in the early 18th century electrocuting themselves modern audience would be like what the hell is going on um you know you sometimes you have to sort of meet people's expectations a bit (laughs) yeah 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 it's true and also budgets are a bit of a problem i always want to see a balloon taking off in the background but you know hot air balloons it's never going to happen is it because who's going to fund a hot air balloon really in a film i'm writing all this down (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, so we didn't get people electrocuting themselves in Poldark. I think we had a stockpot, though. That was your fridge door moment. I think maybe I'm a bit pedantic, but when you see a, a, a tin mine, I was like, well, okay, so what happens? They dig this stuff up, then what do they do? And I wanted to follow the process through to see what they did to get the actual tin out. So that's when we had those bow maidens smacking up the rocks. Oh, yes, and, um, yeah. And that sort of detail. And the kids, the kids working up, you know, on the on the surface, um, helping them bring the rocks to them and so on. But where we yeah. shot that, the, the uh, National Trust, we couldn't smash their rocks. We had to bring our own rocks to smash. <laughs> it's always the way. <laughs> Special protected National Trust rocks for the nation yeah. that you mustn't <laughs> smash for That's a penny. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, I always love scenes like that as well because you know that somewhere um, in somewhere in the UK, deepest, darkest, wherever, there there is some museum curator who has never been asked about a tin mine until somebody phones up one day. You know, years of bored school children being dragged around the museum, and then someone phones up and says, "Can you tell me exactly how a tin mine works? It's for the television." And they just have their moment where they get to say exactly how that happened. This knowledge that they only they have. If they've stored for such a long time, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> and another thing that pleased me just about Paul Duck when year around is I came once to Greenwich just briefly to have a visit when you were filming. And I heard you muttering about how you didn't want everyone walking so slowly in the background or the sporting artists. I thought, yes, I, I love this director <laughs> so much because that is the thing that drives me mad is when everyone suddenly does period drama walking, slow walking. And um, and you had oh, your eye on you. it and you're like, no, speed them up. <laughs> Everybody yeah. speed up. It's like, oh, I'm a very happy, happy historian today. <laughs> so. oh, I'm, I'm so pleased that you were happy with that. Yeah, it's just what, you know, it's what draws your eye, isn't it? It's a bit, I think I was, there was one point where... Um, person looking after one of the horses they sort of dashed forward with a with a bucket and spade and it was like they were going to clean up the doings and I remember myself just like stopping them saying no no leave that that's because it's 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 real isn't it yes it's real (laughs) shit (laughs) Uh, but there would have been a lot more of it around I think I think we were quite light yeah it would have been good you could have said could you make the horse do that again please sorry Someone Absolutely. put some more hay in the front of that horse. Wait yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we need another authentic one. <laughs> so, oh, that, that would be some trained horse, wouldn't it? That they could do that on cue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so Joss, um, one thing that we do like to ask the applicants uh, for the History Film Club to do is to nominate a favourite film or TV production to add to our club library. And I was wondering mm. what you might nominate. This is such a difficult question to answer. Um, I can't think of any. No, there's too many. Um, I mean, I, so, so I'm going to just plug a whole load of stuff and then I'll pick one. But I loved Master and Commander by Peter Weir. Mm. I just, that, that whole wooden world at sea was just extraordinary. Um, from the beginning to the end, I just thought it was incredible. Um, and I actually have a question for you. Does Jaws count? 1970s? Ooh. No, it's set contemporary. It's not. It's made okay. in the 70s, but it's set in the 70s, isn't it? It feels it? like a period film to me now. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, sharks are super old, historically speaking. <laughs> <laughs> it depends how old the shark was in the drama. Yeah, if it, if it was a Greenland shark and 400 years old, then maybe you could have it. I, okay. I, think, no. I mean, it's one of my favourite films of all time. It's amazing. but Yeah, well, I, I mean, maybe Heart of the Sea, but um, maybe more the book than the film. So, okay, so I will say... I would choose on the list. I put Deadwood, 
I've got mm-hmm. Mad Men. Mm-hmm. Empire of the Sun is a particular favourite. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I'm going to choose something that, for for a few reasons, one, it's I think it's something that every secondary school student should watch and then discuss the politics um, and the time of. Um, the filmmaking is epic and by my total hero and I think as a character study it's extraordinary the whole film is just a study of this one guy and that film is Lawrence of Arabia oh oh brilliant good call Joss Mm, another of my faves (laughs) yeah yeah and we haven't had that in the club library yet we haven't Um, and that's that's got to go in but tell us a bit more about it though Joss when did you first see it and because I think a lot of people it's quite a big cinematic moment when you first see that very very yeah. long scene. I think I mean like like most things as a as a kid it would be on TV, but eventually I got to see it in the Marble Arch at seventy mil mm. um, in the cinema there, and that was the only Marble Arch. I think it was that was incredible. Um, and then yeah, David Lean is a particular hero, and like I say, I think it just it, it, if we if we can learn from history, I think that's the most valuable. Um, point of, of, of exploring these kind of stories that we should try and learn from previous mistakes let's say and 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 help make sense of of the world now and ourselves um, and I think history gives us amazing perspective on that when one empire finished and uh, for sake of argument a new one comes in and um, I think it, if we can learn from that kind of history uh, it might help us in the future. And it's also such a landmark, of course, in historical filmmaking, isn't it? Because that sort of structure that it's got, which is so brilliant, um, which is kind of now quite fashionable again, is it's a partial biopic. You know, it's not, it doesn't do his whole life. It actually only does a quite a short period of his life. Um, That's right. But it, and then after that, people started doing these massive, like whole life epics. And actually now I think we've gone back much more to the sort of slice of life thing that that is actually what Lawrence does it it, I mean it's epic but it's a very short period of his life that it covers isn't it yes I mean you get an idea that he's got an interest in history but you don't actually understand that he was a you know working out in the Middle East as a archaeologist if you like for years before it and his since childhood about his fascination for uh, destiny and um you know the where he saw himself in the world and what he wanted to achieve and so on crazy what happened to him afterwards of course so yeah i think um, just picking that the, those climactic moments of the of the middle east conflict there were um, is, is just to tell that story it was it was one of the films that i picked um to re-watch at the start of lockdown in 2020 actually so in my household we decided to do some kind of epic film viewing um when we were thinking there was going to be a long stretch at home and Lawrence of the of Arabia is one of the ones we saw and also The Leopard and Gandhi and all these other oh. big long films that yeah. require you to have a bit of time and I watched it over a couple of nights but it was really I'd, I'd forgotten how compelling it is and also what a successful kind of character narrative it offers in that it doesn't give you any of the the structure or the speed that we expect of a more recent kind of film masterpiece it doesn't give you any love story it doesn't give you any of the kind of rapid scene changes and things like that it's so much it's a different kind of pace and it is just about becoming fascinated by 
this character Lawrence and who he is and it's quite a simple mm. sort of set of ideas around that really but it is um yeah it's very compelling he's an enigma isn't he and um everyone's trying to figure out who this man is and uh he himself is so um wrapped up in his previous history is you know what happened to his parents and where they came from and who he is and how he fits into the world and then he's caught between two worlds and so on and his sexuality is touched on but it's not uh, it's not heavily lent on it gives you an interest in him and you can explore that further after the movie yeah and I mean I do love that and when you mentioned the sort of sexuality thing I have to say I mean I've written about the film and it, I've, Omar Sharif and Peter O'Toole are one of the hottest screen couples in the whole of history <laughs> as, as uh, Lawrence and the fictional character Sharif Ali and of course um, you know it, it's the dynamic between them is absolutely amazing and of course the film was made in the 1960s and it's in no way uh, implies really that they had a relationship but the chemistry between them oh my goodness that film yeah <laughs> Extraordinary. And it does touch on Lawrence's sexuality a bit, actually, more than one might think it would have at the time, I think. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you go then and read more about him, you'll find out that there are far more, <laughs> even very weird stories about Lawrence yes. um, to get yeah. interested in. Uh, and so restrained of that film, really, just to stick to the one slice of life, as I say. I think it's brilliant. Um, well, that's that's definitely his, isn't it, Hannah? We're definitely having that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's made definitely. it. Yeah, oh, definitely. That's going straight in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, everything you nominated is brilliant, but that really is a that's got to go in. It was. Um, It was. There's a lot to choose from. That's for sure. Yeah, and if you thought. That was a difficult challenge. <laughs> we also ask um, all of the applicants to the History Film Club to nominate something that they would like to ban um, from the club, so a pet hate or something that gets you your goat, because we don't want to upset our members. We're a very esteemed group. Okay, well, I've, I've got two thoughts for you to enter forward. One would be um, not enough time. <laughs> That's to do... <laughs> That's to do with, um, I think, you know, because it's time and history, but it's actually to do with the filmmaking process. You're always thinking, oh, there's never enough time. And of course there is, really, but uh, you always want more. And I suppose then the, uh, the only other thing I would say from two points of view, one is when you're filming and you see these things, they're a complete pain in the ass. Uh, and, then when, and then when you're actually watching someone else's work, you're looking for these things and then you find yourself, why am I looking for these things? I should just be watching the movie and enjoying it. And those are vapour trails. (laughs) (laughs) So vapour trails can be really easily removed nowadays, but not when they're behind someone's hair that's blowing in the wind or something Mm, like that. Not that we're seeing so many vapour trails at the moment, but when you do see them in your filming, they they are painful. Oh, yeah. oh, we're going to all be looking for vapor trails now, aren't we, for the next two weeks? Also I know. And now, things. whenever we watch a movie, everyone's going to be like, "Damn it, there's a vapor trail!" <laughs> yeah. There's going to be a Twitter feed about vapor trails yes. soon, like there is exactly. about the gavel in courtroom scenes. Where if ever there's a gavel in a British courtroom, you know, Twitter, there's a Twitter gavel thing, and they said, "No gavels, you can't have gavels at court." And now we're going to have a vapor trail Twitter yeah. stream, aren't we? <laughs> it's um. Nice. Yeah, and I think the not enough time I very much sympathise with because I remember when I sort of started out writing, you know, about historical films, it was what always annoyed me. Why didn't they just do the research? Why didn't they do more of this? And, of course, when I started to get involved on the production side and make them, you realise, 
oh my God, they have like no time to write scripts or to put the show together. Of course, they haven't had time to go and read this massive body of work on this subject. Of course not. They're just putting it together as quickly as they can. Um, So I'm quite sympathetic. One thing I learned quite quickly was how long does it take to move a carriage to reset it? And of course, they don't reverse. I thought thought it's easy. They just back the horse up. The carriage moves back a bit. But no, it's not like that. Up the road, round the roundabout, back down again. (laughs) Someone's got to clear up all of the manure. (laughs) Or not. No, no, we have to leave all that authentic (laughs) manure. Leave it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good one, actually, because also people, when we talk about period dramas, they often say, oh, and of course, the landmark film for the 18th century was Barry Lyndon, and isn't it fabulous and so beautifully crafted? And yes, but it almost took a century to make, I think, didn't it? You know, they took a lot of time. (laughs) It's just not practical, really, to spend 100 years making a film anymore. You have to do it in three months. So, yeah, Mm. (laughs) it's just not practical. (laughs) I think we can try and figure out a way to put not enough time on our on like our it. list don't you think Alex yes we, we want ample time in, in the yeah. film oh. club yeah. and for yeah. nobody to feel under club. any pressure yeah, yeah. 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 yes <laughs> we watch long films for a long time <laughs> with endless bottles of wine yes <laughs> speaking of which well I mean Obviously, it would be my great pleasure, Joss, to welcome you to the Historical Film Club. Um, your membership is approved. Thank you Thank very you much for Thank you so applying. much. Gosh, I'm um, honoured. And I mean, to celebrate, we do like to uh, buy our new members a drink from the club bar, which can make any any drink, historical or modern. Um, so what can mm. we get you? Um, okay, I'm going to go for mead. Ah, oh. Ooh, because I, I have really no idea what, what that is. But I remember I worked when I was in the... <laughs> Uh, a long time ago in the cutting rooms as a, as a second assistant and there was a scene where this guy was drinking mead and it had and he and he drank it and then he went oh real bees and he picks one out of his mouth so i i'm kind of curious what it is <laughs> it's kind of like yeah it's like a honey beer isn't it slightly honey flavored i've had it somewhere how was it <laughs> It was kind of pretty nice. It was. It's not particularly strong, if I remember rightly. Um, I think I had it at one of those. Uh, I love these things. One of those Renaissance fairs in the US, where they have these big um, festivals where everyone pretends to be in history and dresses up. Oh yes. Do you go really to fun. those, Alex? I had no idea. I have. What, I have what? been to. Uh, I've been to two. We just need to briefly talk about this. <laughs> what, have you, what have you gone dressed as? Uh, well, because I was on holiday, I didn't really have my, you know, oh. access to much wardrobe. So I'm afraid oh. my costumes were quite rubbish. But um, So I didn't really dress up. But some people really went to town. And actually, I thought, and people kind of do all sorts of different bits of history. But um, one of the one of the costumes I thought was very witty is that somebody came as Doctor Who. So it was like they were travelling through all of history. Around <laughs> all these people dressed as various historical characters. People really you go to You went witty as a historian, didn't you? Exactly. I guess the boring <laughs> commentator. Yeah. I, I thought I was um, being really clever once on a Doctor Who spin-off where uh, we had this, this, this um, contemporary character went back to the 1500s and she had to suddenly change and I had this, um, the woman that was looking after her from that period was examining her clothes. She's from the 1500s. She's never seen a zipper before. Mm. So I started this shot with her looking at the zipper and, and working it. And uh, I thought, oh, that's so clever. Uh, no one ever noticed it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
I thought it was a miracle, you know, for someone from that age, uh, that period, to see a zipper. Yeah, well, absolutely. Oh, I I think that's brilliant. Oh, what a shame. We we all notice it. There'll be a special mood at the club. Someone can try and find that somewhere on a you know (laughs) clip somewhere and send it to us so we could put it up. There'll there'll be some (laughs) fans that will recognise that. Yeah, absolutely. Will, for Doctor <laughs> Who, there's bound to be someone out there who's got that catalogued. Yeah, Doctor <laughs> Who fans, we want to see the zipper scene. <laughs> it's a, yeah, I mean, it's a spin-off of Doctor Who. There's a clue for you. Okay. Okay. Ooh, okay. Go for it, detectives. <laughs> um, <laughs> at History Film Club, if you spot it. I just wanted to also, as you're talking about, you know, favourite period dr- dramas recently, I wanted to big up Amanda Anucci for Death of Stalin and David Copperfield. So they're, they're two of the yes. best, freshest examples of what you can do with a period film now, I think. And so it's so completely different. Um, so different. Horrifying Death of Stalin. And, and But the David Copperfield was just the most energetic and cinematic film I've seen for so long, full of ideas and wonderful. I really love this kind of, um, I love both of those. And I think this kind of trend at the moment for doing history in quite different ways that really do feel like it's moving away from the sort of, you know, some of the old um, kind of very sort of well, what they were calling the US masterpiece theatre and in the UK kind of BBC drama of the past. Not that those were bad, like mm. a lot of those were really very good, but it, it feels so much fresher to do these in a different modern way. And I mean, you know, what fun. Why not play with history? I'm all for it. I think mess around with it as much as you like. And and of course, we must get in a plug for The Irregulars, which does exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely mess Absolutely. around thank with you. it in a fun way. So yeah, that's on Netflix now for anyone who wants to watch it. Uh, thank you very much to Joss Agnew. I've been Alex von Tunzelman. Hannah's been Hannah Gregg. And we will see you next time on the History Film Club. You've been listening to the History Film Club with Alex von Tunzelman, Hannah Gregg and Joss Agnew. It was produced by Nat Tapley for Globing Productions.